Vizidia tentou tabela por dentro com chave. Vem a retaguarda holandesa. Domina com Van der Vio. So, you might have heard that Brazil hosted the 2014 World Cup. To prepare, Brazil pulled out all the stops. The race has been on to complete construction no Brasil, on praticamente stops. todos os estádios tiveram um custo maior do que o previsto. Over how Brazil's money is being spent. Premier Football Competition finally arrived, the world's greatest footballing nation. Criticism or no criticism, Brazil was hosting a party for the whole world. And as everyone knows, you can't throw a great party without some killer music, right? To create one of the tournament's official songs, sponsors tapped an artist named Gabi Amarantos. Until recently, Gabi wasn't someone you'd imagine representing Brazil on the world stage. She was a little-known artist from the country's far-flung Amazon region. And the style of music she made, Tecnobrega, was once only popular with working-class people from the state of Pará. Yet, against all odds, Gabi Amarantos has become a big star in Brazil, winning Artist of the Year at the MTV Brazil Awards, singing theme songs for major soap operas, and so on. She's the most visible face of a new boom in Brazil for music from the Amazon. And that's what today's show is all about. Hello, Georges Collidé with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. On today's Hip Deep Edition, we dive into the hot sounds of the Brazilian Amazon. We're going to learn about the rainforest roots of a worldwide dance craze. They would introduce a song by saying, here comes a lambada, or here's a lambada on your backs. And we'll enter the electro-bubblegum world of Tecnobrega. They use um, fireworks, they have DJ console that looks like a spaceship. It's quite energetic, it's quite wild. And find out about the Amazonian music revival that has Brazilian music critics raving. All that coming up on The Mighty Amazon. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's get into the Amazonian mood with a track from Donna Onetchi, the new queen of Carimbo. Jamburana by Donna Onetchi. I'm Georges Collinet with the mighty Amazon 
on Afropop Worldwide. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. From the jungles of the Amazon okay. to the heart of America. So you've probably heard the word lambada. Only one dance can turn feeling into rhythm. The reason most people have heard of lambada is that it was a flash-in-the-pan dance craze in the early 90s. Into fury. The forbidden dance, lambada. The forbidden dance is lambada. Lambada. The real Lombada has very little to do with all that, but it is from the Amazon. Are we, are we rolling? Meet Darian. Okay, yes we are. I'm Darian Lehman, I'm an ethnomusicologist, and I focus on Brazilian music in the Amazon region. Darian is an expert, specifically on music from the Amazonian state of Pará. It's a huge state about three times the size of California. We're going to spend most of today's episode in its capital city, Belém. Belém is a large metropolis of 1.5 million people located in the eastern Amazon. By the way, if you're visiting, don't forget to bring your umbrella. Um, it's said that Belém being an equatorial city, that there are two main seasons. One is the season where it rains every day, and the other is the season where it rains all day. It was founded as a Portuguese outpost to control access to the interior of the Amazon, and it really exploded in population in the 19th century with the rubber boom. The Industrial Revolution demanded lots of rubber, and the Amazon was the place to find it. The rubber barons of Belém made dizzying fortunes. They built wide avenues, mansions, and a luxurious opera house. And there are stories that I've heard told that the elites would send their linens to Paris to be washed because they didn't trust the muddy waters of the Amazon to wash their clothes in. The rubber boom went bust in the early 20th century, but Belém remained a bustling port city, connecting the Amazonian interior to the world beyond. But to most Brazilians, even today, Belém is thought of as a distant and isolated place, if it's thought of at all. Located thousands of miles from the economic hubs of Sao Paulo and Rio, Belém has long felt cut off from the rest of the country. Someone described Belém to me as the last place you can get to by land. And there's a kind of saying that Belém grew up with its back to Brazil. It gives one a sense that Belém was also turned outwards towards the Caribbean. This is especially true when it comes to music. The sound that most impacted Belém and Pará state wasn't samba from the southeast. It was Caribbean music. Merengue from the Dominican Republic, cumbia from Colombia, compa from Haiti, and so on. Shortwave radio was used to pick up Caribbean frequencies because radio broadcast from the south of Brazil arrived with bad reception and so on. I think that's part of the story. The other part of the story had to do with contraband. The contrabandist was kind of a folk hero figure uh, of the periphery of Belém during the 60s and 70s. They were roughnecks who would illegally cross into the neighboring Guyanas and bring back luxury goods without paying Brazil's high taxes. And a lot of the people who crossed that border regularly would bring back things like perfumes, uh, whiskey. And so among those contraband items that were brought back from abroad were records. 
Angel Viloria, who we are listening to now, was one of the artists who made the Amazon dance. Para, like Jamaica and coastal Colombia, has a tradition of sound system parties dating back to the 1950s. In rural areas of the road system, people would load up canoes with giant speakers to throw parties in distant towns. Equipment was hard to come by, so self-taught technicians would improvise using spare radio parts hooked up to car batteries. After all, many of the towns weren't on the electric grid yet. DJs would spin Caribbean records into the wee hours. All this Caribbean dance music began to be known by a local name, Lampada. According to legend, the name was invented by a pair of local radio jocks. They would introduce a song like the merengue or any fast-paced song by saying, here comes a lambada, or here's a lambada on your backs. In Portuguese, the word lambada comes from the verb lambar, to lash, with a whip, for example. Which really means something like, here's a whopper, or here's a lashing, or here's a hot rhythm to dance to. So it's any rhythm, it can be Brazilian, doesn't have to be Caribbean, um, that is up-tempo, made for dancing, and maybe has somewhat of a sensual aspect to it. It wasn't long before local musicians started making Caribbean-influenced music of their own. Our producer, Marlon Bishop, picks up the story. In the 1920s, decades before sound systems began blasting lambadas into the Amazonian night, the cities and towns of Pará were entertained by dance bands known as jazzies. They were local groups that played a potpourri of international styles that bands all over the Americas played back in those days. Foxtrots, boleros, and so forth. Eventually, they started playing the Caribbean rhythms that people in Pará were hearing on the radio. They made it their own, adding a subtle Brazilian swagger and lyrics in Portuguese. Beginning in the 70s, dance bands in Pará began cutting records. One of the greatest band leaders of the period was a guy named Pinduca. He recorded this song, Minha Maria, in 76. Pinduca wasn't only influenced by Latin and Caribbean music. He also drew inspiration from a local style called carimbo. Here's Darian Lehman. So carimbo is 
a dance and drumming tradition that emerged in the northeast of Pará state. One of the first references we have to it in writing is an ordinance forbidding its playing uh, in Belém. Much like the history of samba, it's a drumming tradition that was prohibited and criminalized and repressed during the 19th century. Carimbo is thought to have its roots in the Quilombos, communities descended from Africans who escaped slavery and found refuge in the rainforest. But it was Pinduca who took the Carimbo and electrified it. Check out this tune from 1973, O Casador, the Hunter. Carimbo King, that's O Casador. Pinduco was a major innovator, for sure. But no old-school paraense musician captured hearts or moved hips quite like Mestre Vieira. Joaquim de Lima Vieira was born in the 1930s. Uh, he says in a canoe um, somewhere in the river, Darian Lehman recorded the jam session we're hearing right now between Vieira and a young Lambada guitarist in Vieira's hometown of Barcarena. Vieira always had a kind of tortured relationship with his father who didn't approve of him playing music. Uh, Vieira was very intrigued whenever he would go to Belém. It often took a full eight hours to row to Belém from his hometown of Bacarena, um, that he would go and listen to music in the jukeboxes there. The only type of music that his father approved of him playing was music that used the mandolin. So one day, a young Vieira went into an instrument shop in Belém and traced the outline of a mandolin on paper. He had his brother, who was a carpenter, make it for him. But the mandolin wasn't what really interested him. He tells the story of, in the 1950s or 60s, seeing for the first time an electric guitar in a movie. He doesn't remember the name of the movie. It was one of these kind of summer blockbuster hits where, you know, there are all these 
young men and women hanging out on a beach uh, playing guitar. And so there was an electric guitar in this. He liked the sound of it and started asking around. Vieira convinced a friend who worked on boats to bring an electric guitar back from Rio. He built his own amplifier for it and started using it in his band. He began to incorporate the electric guitar into the ensemble, which he then used to translate a lot of these horn gestures that you might associate with the mambo. These horn hits or the sort of sinuous saxophone line of a merengue solo, Vieira would adapt these for the electric guitar. Vieira made his first record in 1978, titled Lambadas das Quebradas, Lambada from the Backlands. It's unclear who was the first to play lambada on the electric guitar. Several people claim to have invented the style. But by most accounts, Vieira was the best at it. An Amazonian guitar hero to rival any 70s rock god. As this song from his 1984 record, Colombiana, suggests, Vieira was inimitable, impossible to replicate. by Mestre Vieira. Some years later, the kind of music Vieira pioneered would come to be known as guitarrada. It's a marketing handle roughly meaning a bunch of guitar in Portuguese. Throughout this period, and even up to today, Lambada musicians always pay homage to the Latin and Caribbean dance music that inspired it. You can hear this in Vieira's song titles, Colombiana, Jamaican Lambada. The thing to realize is that this wasn't happening anywhere else in Brazil. A música brasileira tem uma dificuldade de se integrar aos outros países sul-americanos. This is Felipe Cordeiro, a young musician from Belém. He says most of Brazil never listened to music from elsewhere in Latin America. E acho que tem essa dificuldade em parte, além do idioma. Felipe says, yeah, there's the issue of Spanish, but language isn't even the main barrier. Mas nem creio que isso seja tão principal. He says it's because the national music industry has always been hyper concentrated in the southeast, the Rio São Paulo area, where there was little direct contact with Latin sounds and people. Histórica da música brasileira no sudeste. In Pará, on the other hand, says Darian Lehman, people proudly claim their cultural connection to the Caribbean. 
claiming Caribbeanness becomes a way of incorporating a certain cosmopolitanism um, that the rest of Brazil can't kind of lay claim to because of the unique history of the Amazonian region, um, which is so often thought of as a remote or provincial periphery, um, is a way of, of kind of speaking back to this idea that, you know, Belém is the last place you can get to by land. Well, that's only true if you're taking the perspective of Sao Paulo and Rio. If you flip it around and see it from Belém's perspective, Darian says, Belém is actually the first place you can get to from the Caribbean and the rest of the world. All right, so in the 80s and early 90s, musicians are still making lambada, but they start doing it with more modern production values. Beto Barbosa became known as the king of lambada because of tracks like this one, Beijinho na boca, a little kiss on the mouth from 1990. Then, in the year 1989, the Lambada story suddenly gets really uh, weird. You want to see the Lambada? I'll show you the Lambada. For many listeners, at least those old enough to remember it, this is the Lambada. The 1989 hit Chorando Se Foi, also known as Lambada, by the group Kaum. You might be thinking, hey, this doesn't sound like the Lambada we've been hearing. And that's true. But outside of Pará, from movie theaters to dance classes, this song is the definition of Lambada. Chorando se foi, quem um dia só me fez chorar. Chorando se foi, quem um dia só me fez chorar. Chorando estará ao lembrar de um amor que um dia não soube cuidar. The story of how this came to pass actually starts not in Brazil, but in Bolivia, with an Andean folk music group called Los Charcas. This is Yaye, the Los Charcas single from 1982. But it was the B-side, Llorando Se Fue, that ended up making history. The song is about a man who lost his love, but it's not the words we're still hearing decades later. It's that melody.
It was a folk melody that one of the band members used when tuning his panpipes. And it was only when Los Charcas were one song short for an album that they decided to turn that melody into Llorando Se Fue. Around this time, back in Brazil, artists from Belém like Beto Barbosa and Alipio Martins were making it in the bigger markets of Brazil's Northeast, fusing Lombada with the Northeast specialty, Fojo. This Lombada became particularly trendy with dancers in Porto Seguro, a major tourist destination in the state of Bahia, which takes us to the year 1988. The story goes that there was a French producer vacationing on a beach in Porto Seguro, Bahia, and heard someone playing this kind of hot Caribbean-esque dance music. The producer, Olivier Lorsac, sensed an opportunity in the Lombada scene of Bahia and went about assembling a group back in Paris to cover the music he'd heard. The song that really caught Lorsac's attention was a Brazilian cover of Llorando Se Fue by Marcia Ferreira. Lorsac took the tune and re-recorded it with the band he created, Kaoma. If any group deserves to be filed under the vague genre of world beat, it would be Kaoma, who actually titled their first album World Beat. The group was comprised of musicians from France, Senegal, the French Antilles, and, for a touch of authenticity, a Brazilian singer. And kind of became a circum-Caribbean, transatlantic collaboration project that, for all intents and purposes, cut the Amazon out of that story altogether. The group was talented, but critics felt it served up a watered-down and commercialized version of global culture. Still, Lombada was a mega-hit. It became, at the time, CBS's record's biggest-selling single ever in Europe. Kaoma's producers never properly credited the song. Los Chacas eventually sued and won most of the song's royalties. But the song and its namesake had successfully been rebranded by Kaoma. And from there, you could say Lambada mm, took a life of its own. In the 1960s, it was the twist. In the 70s, it was disco. And now, already, there is a dance for the 90s. Lambada. This is from a 1990 documentary about the so-called Lambada craze. The Lombada dance originated in the 1930s, where it was soon banned by the government for its sexual overtones. Everywhere the Lombada craze went, this whole forbidden dance thing went with it. While the Lombada in Belém certainly always had some stigma attached from its association with brothels and working-class folks, there's no evidence that it was ever actually forbidden. But as this new Lombada blazed its way through Europe and the U.S., playing up the sexuality of the dance helped. It would be a great thing to do with someone that you wanted to get real physical with. It could be romantic, it could be just downright dirty. The miniskirts, featured in all the videos, were certainly part of it. I love bare legs and short skirts, and these girls know how to move it. Ultimately, it seems that attaching the idea of forbidden to the dance was a way of marketing it as something racy and exciting. And, it would seem, it worked. Once Lambada hit, 
there was an explosion of copycats from around the globe. It was sung in Turkish and Hebrew. There was even a Bollywood rendition. And decades later, it keeps coming back. You've probably heard the melody quoted by J-Lo and Pitbull from 2011's On the Floor. And the song keeps turning up in some pretty surprising places. Again, Darian Lehman. I remember being in Austin, Texas and hearing an ice cream vendor passing by that was playing Choran de Sifoy as one of the ice cream truck songs and being really kind of blown away by how that kind of takes its place alongside Pop Goes the Weasel as an ice cream truck song. And then came the movies. The dance you taught me back there. The Lambada. Yeah, why do they call it the forbidden dance? 50 years ago, the government of Brazil forbid it because it was too sexy. Get out of town. (laughs) Really? Yeah? Really? No kidding. That little history lesson is from the 1990 movie The Forbidden Dance. It's about a Brazilian princess who comes to Los Angeles and winds up as a domestic worker for a rich family, whose son is, like the princess, a passionate dancer. I'll spare you more plot details, but suffice to say that in order to cash in on the Lombada fad while it lasted, the movie script was written in 10 days, and it was not received kindly by critics. Get out of town! (laughs) Really? Yeah? Really? But The Forbidden Dance wasn't the only Lombada-themed movie to come out that year. In fact, a competitor hit theaters on the exact same day, March 16th, 1990. A teacher, his student, and the dance that changed their lives and tore a school apart. Exotic, erotic, lose yourself in the heat. This is the 90s, man. Chicks got a right to choose. Go all the way, La Barra. Set the night on fire. Well, now you know the plot. Neither movie performed very well, with critics or at the box office. But they helped to cement the Lombada craze as a cultural touchstone, as well as a vehicle for racy escapism and synthy dance pop. The international Lombada craze left almost as swiftly as it arrived. Frankly, by now, most have forgotten it ever happened. But there is one kind of place where Lombada found its footing so to speak. At a dance studio in Manhattan's East Village, a Lamba Zouk class is in session. Dancers pair off, their bodies close as they spin each other around the room. The women throw their heads back in Lamba Zouk's signature flourish. Instructor Rodrigo Hamalio gives the students pointers. And I've worked with Zouk already for 10 years. And I have a dance school in Brazil also, in Rio. After I went for the first time, I was totally in love about it. In the world of studio partner dancing, Lombada kept evolving. In the end, by calling their song Lombada, Kaoma had unleashed a global phenomenon that had very little to do with its original Amazonian namesake. But here in this third floor dance studio, something of lasting value did emerge from the craze. The dance in its current form is still bringing people together. It's really beautiful to watch and apparently a lot of fun to do. I like the fact that it's adaptable because each place, it can make it their own, and each place you can connect with it. And really the dance is all about the connection between the two people that are dancing. The objective is really to make that dance that you're having with them the most incredible dance that you can. 
for me it's amazing. I do get lost in it and it is somehow like a form of meditation. It can really, can really flow. So now you know Lambada has quite a few meanings. By the way, you can learn lots more about all the styles of music from Para on our website, afropop.org. Coming up, we get down and dirty with Technobrega, the cheesy techno sound from Belém that the world is going crazy for, and how a bunch of Amazonian University students have brought the Paraense Lambada back in a big way. So don't go anywhere. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Okay, we're back. In the next chapter of our show, we're going to talk about the modern dance party music of the Amazon, Techno Brega. But first, let's hear a little from Gabi Amarantos, the artist we heard at the top of the show. This is Shirley. Saia vermelha, camisa preta, chegou pra abalar. Quando tu for na casa dela lhe buscar, ela vai preparar café coado na calcinha. Só pra lhe enfeitiçar E se tu for na aparelhagem Tu vai ver só Ela vai aprontar That was Shirley from Gabi Amarantos Like most of the artists we've heard today She's from the city of Belém In the northern state of Pará She's the star of Tecno Brega. Tecno Brega is a style musical that appeared. That's Gabi herself on the phone with us from Brazil. As she explains, Tecno Brega started to develop in Belém in the 1990s. Back then, it was simply called Brega, which means something tacky and outmoded, cheesy music, kind of cheesy, a bit of tacky, cheesy music or tacky music. And as the name suggests, Brega for a long time was considered bad music for poor people that no respectable person with good taste will ever listen to. Hmm. But boy, things have changed. Techno Brega is one of the most popular styles of music to come out of the Amazon. Gabi Amarantos is a household name in Brazil, but long before Sao Paulo hipsters and housewives knew about Gabi and Techno Brega, the music was thriving for years in its hometown of Belém. Here is our producer, Marlon Bishop, with the story. Before Brega went techno and became this, Brega sounded like this. The song we're hearing now is called Quiero Você by Carlos Santos, a record that sold over 1 million copies in 1982. Santos recorded many Lambada-style dance tracks, but he's best known for the genre of brega, which took over Pará in the late 80s and 90s. Here's ethnomusicologist Darian Lehman. Brega, it's a colloquialism for something tacky and outmoded. 
it's pejorative, um, but the musical movement uh, was centered in the kind of peripheral areas of Belém. Reclaimed this term. This is a tradition that's very sentimental, based in kind of uh, bolero sound mixed with, you know, 1960s rock and roll. Like Lambada before it, Breca was played almost exclusively in the bars and clubs of working-class neighborhoods. Then in the 90s, a Brega band broke through on a national level. They were Banda Calypso. Banda Calypso became popular not only in Pará, but throughout northeast Brazil. Their sound became the inspiration for Tecno Brega, an all-electronic version of Brega that arrived in the early 2000s. Well, Techno Brega is, a, is an electronic relaunch of the Brega tradition. Techno Brega emerges in the late 90s, early 2000s, as digital artists are trying to produce music for sound system parties on the cheap. In the great Amazonian tradition of making do with what you have, producers would program a Brega beat using cheap synthesizers and pirated software. And have a singer come in um, and basically, you know, add a few samples, layer things in, layer things out, and you've got Tecno Brega. It was cheesy, but yet it had this roughness because it was made on very cheap equipment. This is Daniel, by the way. Yeah, my name is uh, Daniel Hoxman. Daniel Hoxman lives in Berlin and runs Man Recordings, the label that first brought funky karaoke to Europe in the early 2000s. He first heard Techno Brega from a burned CD that a friend had picked up in Berlin. The sound had something in common with funky karaoke, but it was unlike anything he'd ever heard. It had like the same rawness, you know, it was also made up of very, you know, cheap sounding drums and, you know, but it was much more melodic. Since then, Hoxman has put out several Techno Brega compilations on man recordings, and he never had to leave his computer. Because you can find anything, you know, either on YouTube um, or on SoundCloud, and you can also di directly collaborate with musicians in, in Brazil because, you know, they can just send you files, they can send you acapellas, and you just rework them here. It's very common these days for musicians all over the world to freely share their music on the internet. But in Techno Brega, Sharing music is a time-honored tradition. What happens is that the techno-brega musicians don't mind that their music is actually shared. That's Ronaldo Lemos, a Brazilian lawyer and author of a recent book on techno-brega's informal economy. It's funny, he says, how techno-brega really emerged in 2005, exactly the time when the music industry was suing people over piracy and file sharing. And at the same time, the techno-brega techno musicians, they have realized that technology is actually your friend. And they were actually using whatever technology they had at their hands in order to, to spread their music to as many people as possible. Even before the internet, Technobrega artists burned CDs and gave away their music for free. As it turns out, artists not selling their music has been a real money-making approach. Some of them actually make millions of dollars, and it's certainly the whole scene is a multi-million dollar scene. 
So it's very interesting how that happened by embracing not only file sharing, but all sorts of music sharing. Here's Daniel Hoxman. Before, you know, there was file sharing online, people in, in Berlin already sort of freely shared their music and the musicians shared their music because they knew and they understood that if you give away music for free, you reach a much bigger audience than, than if you sell the music. Lemos says this total disregard for the concept of copyright is deeply rooted in the local culture. For this sort of underprivileged populations that actually live in conditions that sometimes not even their houses have a title, they don't have a, any legal background for the daily contracts that they do on a day-by-day -day basis. So copyright can be a very foreign idea, an idea that doesn't really resonate to their the ways of living. So how does Technobrega make its money? One word, aparalagens. Aparalagen literally means apparatus, but it may as well mean wall of speakers. They are huge sound systems used for outdoor rave-style parties, and they've taken sound system culture to a whole other level. The sound system culture uh, that you find in the Jamaican street parties, you also find them at the Tecnobrega parties, but with a twist, the Brazilian sound systems for the Technobrega, they are really, let's say, twisted in a way that they're much more extravagant, they're much more loud, they're much more, there's much more color, there's a lot of lights, there's lasers. You know, they use um, fireworks, they have um, uh, stages that feature um, a DJ console that looks like a, a spaceship. Yeah, and it's, an, it's a very impressive live show full of energy, you know, people are dancing in couples. It's quite energetic, it's quite wild. This is where Technobrega artists aspire to perform and have their music played. Because of the money-making potential DJing at one of these aparalagems offers, they are the place to be heard. But the aparalagems are more than just wild parties. They can also be a deep expression of culture in the Amazon. My name is Marcio Bahia. I am a professor of Portuguese at uh, Vanderbilt University. Marcio Bahia is writing a book about Tecnobrega. He calls the Aparelagem parties a cyber-Amazonian experience. It's a part of the um, advertising strategy. The big Aparelagems have created narratives around their performances. For example, there's an Aparelagem named Tupinambá named after an indigenous tribe from the north of Brazil. So Tupinambá, they appropriated the name of a tribe and they construct a narrative around it. So for example, the DJ, he wears an Indian headdress, but it's a very modern futuristic headdress with the lights, with the laser. He is a mixture of great Indian chief uh, with the Neo from the movie Matrix. Uh, which, by the way, was a big inspiration for the Tupinamba performance in the early 2000s, in the late 90s, uh, when the movie came out. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from now is a choice. 
and the clans are both followers of the great Indian chief, but they are also followers of the great leader, the Neo, the leader that will lead them into this symbolic war. There's a sense of empowerment. You can also interpret it as a discourse of empowerment of that people that has, that has always been on a very subaltern position. It may sound bizarre, but this mix of indigenous imagery with a Hollywood sci-fi film, it fits perfectly in the Amazonian tradition of absorbing culture from outside its borders and making it into something of its own. What is interesting about this industry is how it is a big sponge. The Amazonian music scene has never been like, you know, very isolated, regional, Amazonian, end of the world. On the contrary, it has always been very cosmopolitan. In the 80s, there was all the influence of pop music and in the 90s of electronic music, which actually gave birth to what we call Tecnobrega today. This is part of the genius of Tecnobrega, the ability to take pop culture and radically reimagine it through this kitschy space-age lens. Here's an example. You might remember the 1978 classic rock hit Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits, right? Okay, now let's give it the old Technobrega treatment. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, meantime. The remix we're hearing now is by the mysterious DJ Cremoso, or DJ Creamy. Nobody knows the true identity of Cremoso, but he, or she, has become the premier remix DJ in Tecnobrega who is known for covering and remaking foreign hits, particularly from the 90s. It's like a sponge that sort of collects like all, you know, the circulating music styles that are out there. You can hear like elements of reggaeton in it. You hear calypso, even sometimes samba, European happy hardcore from the early 90s. Since this music is not made, uh, you know, with live instruments any longer, but made with electronic equipment. And, you know, everybody has access to the Internet in Berlin. People can just plunder the global pop music and just make their own Brega versions of internationally known pop songs, but with a Brega beat and with a Brega vibe. And I think this is always important, you know, for foreign audiences to understand the music better when they find a reflection of their own music or music that they are accustomed to in that particular music. Cremoso's remixes in particular spread widely in Brazil, and they caught the attention of people from outside Tecnobrega's traditional milieu. Indie rock types, for example. Bando Wow hails not from Belém, but Guayania, in a state far from Pará, and they're one of the bands doing what you might call a hipster take on Tecnobrega. One of their most famous tracks is a Tecnobrega reworking of Willow Smith's I Whip My Hair, retitled Shake do Amor, or Shake of Love. As you can tell, the track has the beat of Tecnobrega, but takes the genre to new sonic territories by coupling it with an electro-indie pop vibe. These days, there are all sorts of artists around who are drawing inspiration from Tecnobrega. Even The Strokes released a song influenced by the genre, titled One Way Trick. You 
Tecnobrega is built off the creative way that musicians from the Amazon have used technology to remake global pop culture. And, says Marcio Bahia, using digital technology has been a way of defying expectations about what it means to be a working-class person living in the Amazon. Technology has also been used by those agents as a tool of cultural legitimization. So when you talk to people, when you talk to DJs, when you talk to Technobrega fans, it's clear in their discourse they say, look, okay, we are considered culture garbage, but look at all the wonders we can do in an aparelhagem party. Look at this big industry that we're able to develop because we appropriated new technologies. Gabi Amarantos puts it this way. She says, many people think that the Amazon only has the forest, indigenous people, rivers, alligators, and boats. So when people listen and they say, wow, you have so much cool music in Pará, they're surprised because they think we don't have advanced technology. And unlike groups like Banda Calypso before, Gabi Amarantos and other new artists are proud of their social status and openly embracing the label of brega, which, remember, basically means tacky. Amarantos tells us that every time she returns to Belém, she goes back to the neighborhood where she used to live and remembers who she is. On the outskirts of Belém, she learned to respect musical diversity, to not be prejudiced about any kind of music, religion, or sexual preference. There, in the periphery, she says, we're free. There's freedom in the margins. Music from Waldo Squash and the Gangi du Electro, one of the new Technobrega bands that have gotten a lot of attention around Brazil recently. But the Technobrega boom is part of a larger vogue for music from the Amazon that's been happening recently. A number of bands from Belém have been reviving the region's older sounds. The revival was kicked off in 2003 by a university student from Belém named Pio Labato. Pio secured funding for a project called Masters of Gitahada. He tracked down the great Lombada guitarists Mestri Veira and Aldusena, connected them with Karimbo banjo player Mestri Kurika, and had them record and perform together as a supergroup. People have kind of likened it to a Buena Vista social club of the Amazon. Isso deu uma reviravolta sobre o olhar crítico sobre esses artistas. That's musician Felipe Cordeiro again. He says the masters of Kitahara changed the way people from Pará talked about the music. Fez um trabalho onde tinha um olhar completo sobre esses artistas. The music was all around Belém, Felipe says, but it was written off as just dance music without any artistic merit. Now, all of a sudden, the creative class of Belém was realizing this is our culture. Felipe Cordeiro is one of the important artists taking part in the revival. His father was actually a major Lombada producer in the 80s, so you can say he's just picking up the family business. This is his track, Problema Seu, Your Problem.
Você pra mim é problema seu. 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 Você não deu bola pra minha loucura. E agora me procura, querendo entender o que você não sabe. É que a essa altura Eu vou terceirizar e dar de presente pra você That's Felipe Cordeiro with Problema Seu. In 2006, all these separate projects came together under the banner of something called Tehua Para, a top-down state-funded initiative to get word out about what was happening in Para. It was curated with the express purpose of showing a sampling of current Amazonian popular music to the hip audiences of Sao Paulo. They sent basically a delegation of some 60 musicians to Sao Paulo in 2006 um, to perform um, the first in what would become a series of musical expos that really helped to launch the national careers of a number of different musicians. And it worked. Journalists raved, record deals were signed, tours were booked, interest in the Amazon was officially sparked. You can say that in the end, the rise of the Caribbean-influenced sounds of the Amazon opens a pathway between Brazilian music and music from other parts of Latin America. Take it from Gabi Amarantos. She says, it's a very cool moment that everybody is interested in music from the Amazon. We're very proud of our forests, our rivers, our indigenous peoples, but we're also proud of our music. Come and visit, says Gabi. There's a lot of cool stuff to see. As we pointed out in the beginning of the show, Gabi's rise to stardom and the Technobrega boom in Brazil is a surprising turn of events for the country's music scene. But it's more than that. It's a clue to what's happening in the country as a whole. Here's Darian Lemon. That rise of the Technobrega periphery to that kind of level of national prominence, a lot of people narrate that as a kind of allegory for the rise of the new Brazilian middle class, the rise of the periphery taking its place no longer at the margins, but really at the center. And Darian says there's another metaphor here as well. Just as the Amazon is a new frontier in Brazilian music, Brazil is a new frontier in the geopolitical order. With both Amazonian music and the Brazilian miracle, there's a lot of excitement, expectations and anxiety. But in both cases, will there be a bust after the boom? Will they be just passing fads? Will either reach their potential? We can't say yet, but in the meantime, we can enjoy all this great music being made in Pará right now. Hit it, Gabi. 
Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, that believes a great nation deserves great art, and from PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the US. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from BAM, presenting non-such records at BAM, a music festival featuring Yusundur, Tumani Tiabate, Rokia Traore, Caetano Velosu, and other non-such artists. September 9 through 28. Tickets at BAM.org. And from Womex, the showcase, seminar, and trade fair devoted to world roots and ethnic music in Santiago de Compostela in Galicia, Spain, October 22nd to 26th. More info at womex.com. Oh, and we have some special news. We are relaunching the Afropop Worldwide podcast. All new episodes will be downloadable through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. It's the most convenient way yet to take Afropop with you, wherever, whenever. And don't forget to visit Afropop Worldwide for extended interviews, photos, videos, and more about all the music we've been talking about on this program. Thanks to Darian Lemon, Felipe Cordero, Gabi Amarantos, Valerie Maxag, Marcio Bahia, Ronaldo Lemos, and Banda Wow for their help with this program. My Afropa partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Lead research and production for this program by Marlon Bishop. Assistant production by Saxon Baird and Joe Dupkin. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Brandon Baker and Stephanie LeBeau. Benning Air edits our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Sam Backer. And I'm Georges Collinet.